Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and today is a special edition of the podcast as I am in Bali, Indonesia right now. I am eating, praying, loving, lots more eating than I thought, but what's surprising is how many digital nomads are here. I just thought everyone was here on a holiday. I thought everyone was just drinking, laying out, doing nothing. And the more time I spend here, I'm realizing a ton of people are here working, making six to seven figures with online businesses. And I'm meeting this community of people that are so inspiring. So today, I'm fortunate enough to actually sit down with one of them. We have Saskia Marty on the podcast. Welcome to In My Non-Expert Opinion. Hey, Chelsea. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're Aussie. That's right. But you are in Bali. That's right. But you also married a guy... That's from Holland, but is also Balinese. Yeah, it's nice and confusing. Yeah, we yeah. need to go through that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about <laughs> your background and how you ended up in Changu, Bali. Sure. Yeah, I kind of uh, was brought up this way. Both my parents grew up in multiple countries. Um, but so if anyone asks, I would say I'm an Australian, but I do have a Dutch mum. I grew up in Australia. Uh, I spent a couple of years at school, beginning of primary school in the Netherlands. Um, but other than that, born and raised Australian. And uh, when I was 20, I actually went to the Netherlands on holidays, met a cute boy, fell in love. And a week later, I had to go back home. My holiday was finished. Um, but decided uh, a couple months later to take the plunge and move to Holland. But so he actually wasn't from Holland. He was born in Bali. But uh, at the age of about four, he moved to the Netherlands. So... Um, he looks like a Balinese guy, but he definitely acts like a Dutch guy. <laughs> um, and that was kind of uh, also what uh, inspired our move to Bali, for him to reconnect to the country he came from. So let's take a step back with that holiday that was ending. You met this cute boy. Yeah. When on earth did this conversation have that you're going to leave your country to join this person at another country? Because there's a ton of people listening, traveling right now that are like, you know, I want to meet this guy or our visas are ending or something's happening. I can't be with him. Walk us through that little love story. Yeah, like, oh my God, how do I take the plunge? Yeah. Um, so I met my husband on New Year's Eve at a family dinner of a friend of mine. So he's actually the older brother of someone that I had already known. Um, and really, I kind of thought it would just be a little holiday romance, like have some fun while I'm on holidays. You know, I'm probably never going to see this guy anymore anyway. What could happen? And one night turned into two nights, turned into three. And uh, we kind of just kept seeing each other that last week that I was in Holland. Um, and it was a really emotional goodbye, which I had not expected knowing this guy only for a couple of days. Um, and like this, I'm going to feel old saying this, like this is pre-Skype. This is pre-Instagram and pre all those sorts of things. So we had MSN Messenger, which had no audio at that time, um, and really big phone bills. So mm. uh, I went home uh, and we stayed in contact. We were calling each other on the daily and we were really excited about connecting together. But as like a month or two went on, I was like, well, we've got to be realistic. Like we literally live on the other side of the world this isn't a relationship to me. This is just like a, a pen pal, really. Um, so either you've got to come here or I've got to go there or we're going to call it quits. And, you know, it's a pretty big thing to talk about when you've only really been getting to know each other for a couple of months. 
Um, so uh, he still had holiday days and uh, his holiday money saved up. So he said, all right, I'll come to Australia and we'll sort of test the waters out. Like, was it just that week in Holland that was fun together or is it something more? So he came over to uh, Australia and um, we spent four weeks together there. And it became clear that, I mean, I'm not one to quickly put a label on that this is forever, but it wasn't just a quick holiday fling. So because I had a Dutch mum, I also inherited a Dutch passport. So for me, it was really easy to move to the Netherlands. For him, not so much to Australia. So um, he spent a couple of weeks there during which was my 21st birthday and uh, at my party I announced to uh, unbeknownst to everybody to say well this is my birthday party but it's also my going away party because I'm leaving in a couple of weeks and everyone's (laughs) (laughs) obviously hadn't expected this most of them were like who's this guy she's talking about we haven't even heard about him wow um and I just sort of thought well worst case scenario I go there and six weeks later I figure out I don't like the guy I go home Mm-hmm. There's no sort of big drama to it. And I guess because I've grown up with parents that have moved countries and I did it as a kid, the world felt smaller um, and it felt doable. So uh, I took the plunge, sold everything, quit my job and moved to Holland. Wow. And were people, were you ever affected by people's opinions? Like you were saying, people are like, who, we don't even know this guy. Like, are you serious? Is this, yeah. are you, did you actually think through this? Like, how did you work through all that? Yeah. Uh, like a lot of people didn't really like the idea of it because it's, it's a big, scary notion for them. Obviously they think that maybe our friendship won't exist if I leave. And it's, it's generally out of fear, but I guess the people closest to me, whose opinions mattered the most uh, said although we don't want you to leave we understand and respect it and we will be coming to crash on your couch for holidays um and again because my parents have done that sort of thing before they really stood behind it and actually at that point in time they were living in holland um so it also for me i was moving closer to my family so so it kind yeah. of worked out either way. You're like, well, if it doesn't work, I'm close to my family yeah, exactly. anyway. exactly. So. I can go and live with mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like you were moving to such a neutral country that neither of you knew about. Like yeah. He also grew up there, so it's like yeah. you actually even know the lay of the land, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, he actually lived in the city where I lived as... Uh, I lived there from three to five years old, so really small. Um, but I still remembered the area I lived in. So like I could even show him part of his city. Like this is how I walked to school. And uh, this is where we used to go and get our snacks uh, on the weekends. And um, so it wasn't a complete foreign place to me. No. And I think a lot of people when they meet someone abroad, there's the whole thing we see in movies where you're just constantly traveling and it looks like a 24-7 honeymoon. Was that the case when you ended up moving? Or was it like, okay, this is our home now. Let's buy a home let's settle down like what was that like yeah I think it's always really easy like with that whole the grass is greener you always think things are more exciting somewhere else but in actual fact it's a different place but the same shit happens like you got to pay your bills you got to find a place to live so you got to get a job you hang out with your friends and it's it's pretty much exactly the same as life back home just different surroundings um we didn't have like a crazy lavish traveling story in the beginning of our relationship uh it was finding a job moving into his then student house which is like i guess in the states you'd equate it to like a dorm room situation Mm -hmm. um so it wasn't some like exciting luxurious 
adventure in the beginning, but of course it was really exciting to be together. What about when you guys realized, okay, this is fun, we're abroad, let's start exploring together. Like, did you do any trips or was it different when you're there? The reason I'm asking is because I'm in Bondi and I've talked about this a million times on my podcast where I thought I was going to be exploring every single weekend and I have somehow only been to like Bondi and three other beaches and two other cities. And I've been here for six months. Yeah. Did you make plans like we need to get out of Holland and travel? We need to go yeah. backpacking. Like, what was that like? Totally, totally relatable. Because when you go somewhere on holidays, you know there's an end date. So you're like, okay, we've got four weeks here. We're going to plan it out. This is what we're going to do. But when you move somewhere, you're like, I've got so much time. Like, I could do this next week. We don't have to do it now. So a lot of plans definitely don't uh, eventuate. Plus, because Australia was so far away from the Netherlands, I wanted to go back every year to go and see friends and family. But after the first couple of years of doing that, I realized I'm in Europe and I haven't really left Holland because all my money and all my holiday days are going to go back to Australia. I've seen Australia. Like, I lived there for 20 years. You know, it's, uh, it's not new to me. Um, so after that sort of uh, way of thinking about it, we did do some more like city trips, you know, going down to Paris, going up to Copenhagen, all that kind of Euro vibe. We're definitely putting a bit more energy and effort into. So you had to make that plan. Like, we need to make a plan or we're going to be yeah. in Holland yeah. for the rest of our lives. Exactly. Exactly. And um, But I mean, in saying that, Holland is awesome. And I have seen, I think, more things than most locals have because you are inspired to go and like, go and look at the famous windmills and go and look at the flowers and, you know, all the stuff. Whereas people who grew up there are just like, what's interesting about that? Like, mm-hmm. that's just around the corner. I'm not going to go and do that tourist attraction right um so i did see quite a bit of the country uh but probably even less than someone who's there on a quick whirlwind tour what about the all the moving back and forth because it's not like australia to holland is a quick trip i imagine at some point you either had to downsize i mean you said you sold everything like did you literally sell every little thing walk us through how that process was So um, because my parents, they spent quite a long time or more than a decade traveling in Europe for the last couple of, well, for the last decade and a half, um, they did have a storage unit in Australia. So when I first went, because I wasn't 100% sure about everything and I thought, you know, maybe this guy's going to end up being a dick. I don't know. (laughs) uh, I didn't get rid of everything. So I held on to a lot more than what I would nowadays. Um, So I sold all my clothes. I sold appliances like the washing machine I uh, like jewelry and shoes and what have you but like everything sentimental from my youth went straight into storage I didn't even really go through it all I just shoved it all in a box and thought well I'll just keep it there and add it to mom and dad's stuff and that'll be fine um, and when I moved to the Netherlands I obviously took with me my suitcase and I shipped over a trunk like a big suitcase pretty much so that's what I moved over with so you moved over to holland with that and then at some point you said you went back to australia to see you know family and friends everyone back home did you start realizing okay i need to downsize more or you were like i'm fine with what i have this is fine i don't i'm just packing for a trip and then i'll come back yeah no the latter packing for a trip and i'll come back i was definitely into more is more and i loved shopping and consuming and it sort of felt like it was filling some sort of hole that well not even a hole but just it's the way that you're brought up it's the way that the 
more is better and you need to have the latest and the greatest. And so I definitely was a part of that clan of consuming. Um, living a more minimalistic lifestyle is something that was a very hard learning curve for me and didn't happen overnight. Um, so I lived in the Netherlands for about six years before we decided to go on a really big trip around the world. We traveled for about two years and the goal was to travel overland from Holland to Australia. So basically trying to see everything in between. And it was before we went on that trip that I downsized my life into a backpack. And that for me was very challenging for my husband. It was a breeze, but for me, it was very challenging. Um, but that was my first introduction to living with less. And how big was this backpack? Like, I want to get really specific for people <laughs> to understand what living minimalistically means. Okay. So first off, living minimalistically isn't, there isn't one way to do it. And I don't think the goal is necessarily to have the least amount of items in your life. I think the idea is to only have things that you need or that you love. And if that means you love your library of books, you're allowed to have that. There are no rules. You have to have like a maximum of 30 items. Mm -hmm. But for me, when we went traveling, uh, so we shipped both one moving box each to Australia. And so that was things that are near and dear, like photo albums and what have you. And my backpack when we left, I believe, was 13 kilos. And for Americans, do you know the pounds? <laughs> Oh, uh, I don't actually, but like a standard suitcase on an airplane, you're allowed 20 okay. kilos, so a little over half. Okay. So this backpack was like the ones you see in the movies that are like the backpacker backpacks. Yeah, not but like not a... like, you know, when you see people and their backpacks are bigger than them, it was yes. not one of those. Not one of those. No. Okay. No, no, It was no. just like a yeah. normal backpack. Yeah. It was just a little bit bigger than a normal backpack. And so you went through stuff and there's a fine line that I, I've noticed when I get too sentimental versus like absolutely do not need where you're like, mm, this has a little sentimental value. Like it was from that one part of my life. Did you have a hard time doing that or did you have a system in place like, yes, no, yes, no. How did that go? Yeah, no, I was, I'm still am, but then even more as sentimental as it comes. <laughs> so that's why for me, it was a really hard process to go through like, this is the letter my best friend gave me when I left to move to Holland and I've held on to it. And, but I've read it so many times. I know what's in there. Like, do I really need to keep that? Or this is the dress that I wore at this moment when this happened and blah, blah, blah. Um, so for me, it was not like a serious, like it was not a Marie Kondo moment. It was not that I did everything in one go. Mm -hmm. It was very gradual, um, and very difficult. Yeah, for sure. And I know from selling stuff on Facebook Marketplace, you can sell so much stuff there. Yeah. But at this point, was Facebook Marketplace around and where were you selling stuff? Because there's people that would love to do this, but they don't yeah. know where to sell anything. Uh, I had a good old fashioned garage sale, so which is technically not allowed in the Netherlands. You're not allowed to have garage sales. There's one day in the year, which is King's Day or Queen's Day, um, which is a like the Dutch national holiday and everyone goes out onto the streets, the whole city transportation shuts down so that everyone can have put their little um, blankets out on the road and sell all their crap. Um, and other than that, people don't have garage sales. I don't know why it's not a thing, but it's like a whole event and everyone goes and buys each other's crap. 
So being an Australian, garage sales is like part of our culture. Like every Saturday, if you're a bargain hunter, you go to garage sales. Mm -hmm. um, so I invited all my friends to come around and ask them to take their friends. And like, I literally took up like the whole wall of my mother-in-law. We did it at her place because we were living there before we left. Um, the whole wall was just like lined up with clothes and shoes and bags and random things that you accumulate and don't even know why um, and sold pretty much everything and then whatever was left over just donated so if you're listening there are ways to do it you can do facebook marketplace you can have a garage sale there's a ton of other ways like even in the states there's offer up there's let go there's apps now because people want to get rid of their stuff there's yeah. thread up and I think people are starting to realize, like, why do I have so much shit? Yeah, for sure. And uh, this time around, so we left the Netherlands about four months ago when we moved to Bali full time. Um, and we sold our house, we sold our car, and we sold our bikes. And other than that, we decided this time around to give everything away. Because I thought it was a good time to sort of pay it forward. There's been times when... I really needed them, some things that I couldn't afford. Uh, there's probably a bunch of people that would love the things that we have. So I uh, took the real estate photos that we had made for our uh, selling the house and put them up on my Facebook. I said like, this is everything in my house. Who wants what? And so people who we knew came, people who we didn't know came. Um, and it was just really beautiful to also hear the stories of people that are like, wow, this is something that I really need and just couldn't afford right now. Like this is changing my life in X, Y, and Z reason. And that was, um, I mean, even worth more than money because it's that idea of being able to help somebody. I love that. Cause yeah. I went through that where I was like, well, I'm just gonna donate all this stuff that I bought. Yeah. That's like, that could be $500, a thousand dollars. Like, why don't I just try to sell it? Yeah. And to your point, there's someone that's like, I've never been able to wear this pair of high heels or these, this bag. I've never even been able to buy yeah. a nice handbag. Well, like by this stage, I didn't have that many clothes, <laughs> but like uh, a whole house of things. Like we went moving in a van, like we were leaving with a suitcase. So you don't take your coffee maker. You don't take, uh, the towels well, I don't know if people actually took the towels but you know the the household things vases and cups and saucers and and also the lady who bought our house who's actually an old client of mine uh she also needed a lot of stuff because she'd been sort of house sitting after selling her house so she took also a whole bunch of things so it was it's really, kind of easy. Yeah. It's not like you, it, it seems like you didn't leave with like, wow, what if? Yeah. Or like, what could, we should have done that differently. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you go on this backpacking trip and this is something that Americans cannot wrap our heads around. How do people take off more than two weeks? Like two weeks in America is a really long vacation. If you're lucky and your company <coughs> allows you off for the holidays where you get like Thanksgiving off and Christmas off, you can take a longer vacation, but I've never heard of anyone taking more than two weeks off. So I'm Excuse hearing me. that you went on a two-year backpacking trip. People's minds are going to be like, what on earth? We just think, oh, were they a trust fund kid? Like, did they win the lottery? How did this happen? I want you to actually break down what you decided to do when you went on this backpacking trip. Did you pick the countries ahead of time? Did you say we absolutely need to save for six months a year? Like, we need to hear every piece of this puzzle. All right. No, I am not a trust fund baby. And I did not win the lottery. <laughs> Um, 
like anything in life, if it's important enough, you'll find a way. And so we decided, um, all right, so we want to make this big trip. We want to immigrate to Australia. We'd been arranging the visa for my uh, then boyfriend, now husband, to get a partner visa in Australia, which was a whole lot of work. Um, and we mapped out a sort of rough plan because the whole idea is we didn't want to have a plan. We knew kind of the countries where we wanted to go. Um, but we didn't want to be ticking off a must-see list. Uh, and this was also kind of like minimalism in the mind for us, I guess, uh, to just enjoy the journey rather than ticking all the boxes. Um, so beforehand, we kind of made a rough estimate. We looked online, like how much do you need to survive in this country a week and how much in that country, kind of creating a budget. And also we wanted to eventually end up in Australia, which is not a cheap country. So we can't arrive in Australia with zero bucks in the bank. We need to also have some money set aside for that. Um, we were both working average jobs. We didn't have amazing salaries. So we took a good hard look at our expenses and we're like, all right, so how much are we spending each month and how much can we save and how long is it going to take us to get to our goal? So we created a goal of 30,000 euros we wanted to have in our bank account when we left. In order to do that, we couldn't continue living the way we were. So uh, the first and biggest decision we made is we moved in with my mother-in-law. And at the time, a lot of people said, you're crazy. Like in Dutch terms, she lived far away, like a 20 minute, half hour drive from the city we were living in. But in Holland, that's like to the ends of the earth. So they were like, you're giving up like your privacy and this and that. And you're going to go and live with your mother-in-law for a year because we decided on a year. That's what we were going to do. Um, but if we didn't do it, we weren't going to be able to afford this trip. And that was really an important thing to us. So, you know, this meant that we didn't have to pay a thousand euros a month rent, which is a big expense. So we moved in with her. Um, we stopped eating out, which was something we did a lot. And I had to curb my shopping. And that was for me a big thing. Like my husband had his own things that he had to stop. But for me, it was shopping. Um, so that was sort of also the beginning to reduce consuming and blah, blah, blah. And only getting things that I thought about for a long period of time. Uh, and only things that I could take on the backpack trip. So that really limited where I could spend my money. So what are the things you spend money on? So rent usually, obviously we, we did pay rent to my mother-in-law, but a lot less than what we were paying before. Um, not eating out made a really big difference and also just not buying crap. It did mean that our social life in some regards took a dip. Uh, it also kind of forced us to be creative with how to spend our time because in the Netherlands like 80% of the year you don't want to sit outside because it's crap weather so every option that there is generally costs money to so go to a restaurant a cafe to a pub whatever um so we just had to get creative and have like game nights with friends and and pretty much hang out a lot at friends houses because we didn't want anyone coming to hang out with us at our mother's house so uh, that's how we did it about nine months into it, we realized we are not even close to our goal. So we decided to extend uh, to living at my mother-in-law's house for another year. So we spent two years living with her. And again, our friends, a few of them were like, you are insane. This is retarded. Like you're totally limiting your life. But fast forward to when we leave, 
we didn't have to work for two years and we had the exact same people that told us we were idiots go you're so lucky you get to travel for two years and you don't have to work I was like it's not luck I went and got an extra job I went and lived with my mother-in-law I didn't spend any money I missed out on all these fun uh, parties and festivals and what have you because I had a goal so it's not about luck it's about putting in the hard work and what limiting the way you spend your money so I guess it is kind of hard work no I love that you're saying that because I get the same thing too oh I want your life this is you're so lucky yeah you're so lucky you get to live the life I'm like do you know how much I've missed personally I've missed weddings I've missed people getting sick I've missed my grandfather's funeral like not only that stuff but I have three jobs my schedule is different every week I saved for a year I could have saved way more I had to look up flight discounts. Like, I wasn't just, I didn't just win the lottery and moved to Australia and now I'm sitting on a beach all day. Like, <laughs> this is very hard work. And it sounds like it took you two years it to save It took two up. years to save. Two years. Yeah. It wasn't like two months and you're done. But I would, I'm very impulsive with my spending. Like, even this trip was a very impulsive trip. So I'm curious, during that two years, were you ever like, I don't I don't really want to do this long of a trip like why don't we just do a six-month trip or let's just like call it this is too much like did you ever have that thought process um no we were really set on making this trip uh and also having enough money to settle in Australia when we got there um obviously there were days that we would have rathered that we didn't live with my mother-in-law or that we would have rathered that we were going to certain events um because like FOMO is real, like you think you're missing out on everything, but flip it around to when we were traveling and everyone else had FOMO to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's a, for me, it was worth the sacrifice and, and the goal always stayed the same. So you go on the backpacking trip, which is two years total. Yeah. That's crazy. I can't, I'm like still wrapping my head. So yeah. for two years, you're not making an income? You were living off your savings? Yeah. So basically for the first year, we were actually doing the trip from Holland to Australia. And the second year, we were traveling and living in Australia. Okay. So um, we first idealistically started off with, we're not going to take any airplanes and we're going to travel over land and, you know, the unbeaten track and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then in actual fact, uh, it was a lot easier to take a couple airplanes um but we did try and really limit that so like we took our first stop was the bus to italy and then we took the boat to greece and then we did take a plane then we went to india and then from india we traveled overland to nepal and to china and um and then from hong kong we then took a plane to thailand traveled around in thailand for a while and then uh, with the boat to Laos and then again with the boat to Cambodia and so the plan was then to continue all the way down to Australia but our budget was running out so we were like okay we could either dip into the Australia funds or we can call it quits here and say let's just continue the adventure in Australia and we opted for that so um, we then uh, bought our tickets to Australia uh, crashed at someone's uh, place for a little while and then a friend of mine from high school uh, said look I'm living up at the Sunshine Coast I've got a three-bedroom house to myself like work put me up here I'd actually really enjoy the company why don't you come and stay up here for a couple of months so we moved in with him 
Uh, and we both got jobs in hospitality to kind of replenish the bank account because we wanted to buy a camper van um, and do like the typical Australian road trip, which being an Australian is something that I'd never really done. And I thought that was kind of crazy. Like, you know, tourists always see more of your own country. So we spent about six months uh, working in different jobs around the Sunshine Coast. And then we got the camper van and traveled around Australia for six months. So then you decided to stay in Australia, right? No. No. That was the goal. That was the goal. And okay, this so is what why happened? I'm now very hesitant of ever saying forever mm. or permanent. So uh, you won't really hear me saying those words anymore. <laughs> um, is that I thought I would be going home to Australia. Like that's where I grew up. But like I said, my parents weren't there anymore. And I left... Uh, in my when I was 21 so you're at an age where everyone's sort of finishing their study and everyone's deciding on where they want to go all of my dear friends had either left Brisbane the city I come from or they had I mean you grow apart you know like your 20s is I think a decade where you really get to know who you are um so I came home to you know no longer the family house my friends weren't there certain relationships had changed and Brisbane itself had uh, experienced a gigantic growth in my absence. So it wasn't like the little city I remembered. It was a gigantic metropolis. So I arrived there thinking I was going to find this feeling of home and I didn't have it. Um, And then, of course, we didn't really stay still for too long in one spot. So we kept traveling. And at a certain point, we woke up. We were in Melbourne and it was kind of like, my husband and I both had the same thought at the same time. Like, I know it's really, you feel like a spoilt child to say this, but like this traveling is hard work. Like every day is somewhere different. You have no real relationships with anyone other than you, than each other. I just want to go home. And then you have like the dawning question of, but where is that? Mm-hmm. We said we were leaving the Netherlands. We weren't going to go back. We're coming to Australia. This is it. We're coming up to a phase. We want to like put down roots. We want to have kids. Where are we going to do that? And because we hadn't really, I think, invested the time in creating and cultivating a home in Australia, we instantly thought of Holland. We're like, okay, well, our parents are there. Well, my parents lived in France at this stage. Um, I got the nomadic gene from them. Mm. Uh, Let's go back there. And so... We kind of first had this feeling of, oh my God, like tail between our legs. We said we weren't coming back and made this like big sweeping declaration of like, we're leaving forever. (laughs) And had, you know, the big going away and the send off of, you know, like dozens of people standing there in tears, waving us off. And here we are two years later, we're coming home. Um, So we did sort of feel a little bit sad about that, but then we realized it's, it was actually just a, a realization of what really was important and what we needed at that phase in our life. And so, you're allowed to change your mind. That's the biggest lesson yeah, I've learned in my 20s is like you sure. are allowed to change your mind. Yeah, like there are there are very little rules that actually you have to abide by. Like obviously there's the legal ones, there are the physical laws, but other than that, like as long as you can support yourself, the options are endless. Yes, I love that you said that because there's tons of people that want to travel abroad and they get stuck in that thing of, 
well, if I leave and I come back a few months later, that's embarrassing. Or people are going to think I failed or it's going to be like really hard, like the tail between the legs. Like, oh, I just had this whole going away. Now I'm back three months later. And I was like, who cares if your mental health or your happiness or whatever is like, I actually came to whatever Australia for three months, didn't like it. I'm going to move back no one cares <laughs> like no one's gonna if anything they're gonna be like wow good for you for listening to yourself and yeah. wanting to plant roots or come back yeah. home and you realize the grass isn't always greener so yeah. i like that you actually had that whole realization after two whole years yeah actually we're gonna go back to where we started yeah yeah Not a big deal exactly. and i'm sure no maybe one or two people said side comments but i highlight out people yeah. we're at the airport being like ha ha you're back like yeah we make no. up this like thing in our head that that's what people are gonna for do for sure and it was definitely that people were happy i mean obviously the the people that love you the most want to have you close so like we left with dozens of people waving us out and we came home to dozens of people waving us in like it was amazing and really emotional and it really made us think okay this is the right step mm-hmm. for now and what about, before we get into true minimalism, <laughs> I'm just wondering about traveling with your partner for two years, because you learn a lot about someone when you travel. Were sure. there ever rocky moments where you like, oh my God, like, I don't know if I can be with this guy, or was it the opposite, where you're like, this just solidified that, like, this is going to be the rest of our lives? Yeah. Um, like, we'd been already been together for about six years by the time we went traveling, so it wasn't a new relationship. We'd already lived together for six years. Like, we went from, like the little holiday romance to living together so there was no like dating period so we got to know each other in that time very well um and really we're both like people describe my husband as switzerland like he's like the neutral zone whereas he's easygoing he does not want to create arguments unless they're necessary and i'm pretty much the same like I guess we're just really easygoing. We've never really had, like, the blowout, passionate arguments or that sort of thing. Um, But traveling together, obviously what's different is that you don't have that time you spend with other people. You only spend it together. So there were, of course, moments where you're irritated with each other or um, that you have some sort of issue that that might come up that you might not have had to deal with before. But nothing major. No. So it sounded... Like, once you got back, it wasn't like the relationship had totally transformed in a bad way. If anything, it probably made you guys grow closer. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I don't know. No one's ever asked that question before. It was um, was easy. He was a really good traveling companion. That's good news. Yeah. Because I've traveled with not good companions. (laughs) I'm like, we're breaking up. (laughs) And I guess, like, anyone who's traveled before for a longer period of time, you'll notice that even if you go to travel by yourself or in a couple... You don't spend the whole time alone because you'll find other people that are traveling. Like uh, one time we were in Chiang Mai in Thailand where we found what we referred to as our Pai family. We were at this backpacker hostel and at one morning we bumped into someone and said, oh, we're thinking about going up to Pai. And he said, oh, me too. And all of a sudden there was a group of 12 of us. And we're like, let's just rent a bus. And we went up to Pai together and we spent, I think, at least a week like sharing a house together, which was literally like four walls with mattresses from floor to floor, like wall to wall. It was just, it was a gigantic bed, really. Um, So you also cultivate these amazing relationships on the way. Uh, So although you do spend more time together, you also do have like the connections you make with other people, especially if you travel, we traveled always in backpackers. So of course you're going to make some more relationships along the way. 
And it's probably fun to see how your partner handles those situations. Like, are they going to be a little hermit crab or are they the ones that are like, let's just go out to dinner and meet a few people or look at everyone hanging out in the lobby. Why don't we go talk to them? Like, it kind of is like, oh, you have that little side of you that I've never seen that you would never see if you hadn't traveled. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I guess so. I guess so, yeah. So you go back to Holland and then you said in Australia, you guys had hospitality jobs just to replenish the bank account. What happened in Holland? Were you like, we're settling here. Now I want to build a career. Do I want to work for myself? Like, talk about the transition with work. Yeah, for sure. So one thing that I've noticed moving back and forth between the countries is restarting your career every time sucks. So I'm actually trained as a real estate agent in Australia, and that's what I was doing when I met my husband. But then when I moved to the Netherlands, other than I couldn't speak the language, the law system is completely different. So my um, qualifications weren't recognized in the Netherlands. And then when I was in the Netherlands, I uh, did some courses and some study. So when I went back to Australia and we were considering living there, a lot of the qualifications I'd got in Holland weren't recognized in Australia. So it kind of was like I was just um, cutting myself short every time, trying to restart my career. And I saw my friends who obviously had like stayed in one place and they'd done the whole like climb the ladder and they were doing really well and they were making big bucks. And I was like working as some crappy admin job, still making pretty basic wage, because every time I would go for an interview, they'd be like, well, there's a giant hole in your CV, or you'd be overqualified or underqualified. And the time we came back to Holland uh, after our big trip was uh, a job crisis. So I was applying for anything, but like I said, like you'd apply for some sort of very remedial job and I'd be overeducated or you'd apply for something that was at your level but everyone else was competing you try a bit higher and you're not educated enough so I kind of fell into a hole with that and that was really difficult so it took me a couple of months to find a job um and I was applying for anything like I was not picky I'm not too proud I want to earn my own money um So uh, eventually I got a job working as an administrative assistant or I can't even remember what my role was at a laser company. So like think lasers like at nightclubs, but lasers like measuring the speed of molecules. I think you meant laser aesthetics. I was like, that's amazing. You get laser facial, laser (laughs) hair removal. I think they probably made lasers that go into those machines. But no, this was like just selling lasers to universities and companies and it was not very exciting um and it was just i was very quickly bored in the job because obviously it wasn't really my dream position it was kind of without sounding too fancy myself like beneath my experience and and beneath the amount of um interest i guess that i needed to to keep wanting to come back to work and so i'd been toying with the idea of you know, this is when, when is this, 2013? So it was becoming more normal for people to have an online business. And I was toying with the idea of, okay, so I've got all this uh, experience from when I was working in the Netherlands and I could only work in English offices. So I got like personal assistant jobs and management assistant and, you know, assistant to the CEO of this and that. And thought, how can I combine these skills with a company that is independent location, location independent, sorry, um, that I can create enough money to support us and that I also can have flexible hours because by this point I was pregnant, so which we were really excited about, but that's also like a whole new dimension and dynamic to put into everything. 
So uh, the first business I started was a virtual assistant business. So basically a virtual assistant is like the modern version of a personal assistant. And rather than living or sorry, working at one desk in one office for one person, you work from wherever and you support usually small businesses, entrepreneurs online. So people who probably couldn't afford to have a full-time assistant, they're like, I just need like four hours a week, someone to do my admin and to organize this and that. And you just take that off their hands. Um, so it was the perfect combination for me to start with, especially uh, by the time I went and registered my business, I had a newborn baby and I had my day job. Um, and I was kind of trying to squeeze this all into a couple of hours a week because that's all I had left over to build the business. And after traveling, uh, as I said, like over time, I adopted the minimalist lifestyle and not only with physical things, but also with things like who are the people I spend my time with? Why am I pre-packing my weekend before it's even arrived? Like, I don't know if I want to see these people on Saturday. Like, Maybe I'll wake up and I'm grumpy and I just want to hang out at home or I want to spend time with my husband. Um, so I started taking these ideas into my business. So like, okay, I've got X amount of hours a week. What are the things that are essential? Like, I need to pay taxes. So I've got to do my admin and obviously I have to uh, uh, have some sort of way of finding clients. So I opted to use social media but I don't need to have like 10,000 ways of finding clients. I just need to pick one or two that work for me. Um, and so at taking that minimalist idea and only doing the things that are essential or the things that I really loved meant that I didn't really need that much time to run my business. And it also didn't take up as much mental capacity because there was just less to do, which when you have a newborn baby and you get a day job really is necessary. So then this business becomes, this idea becomes mm -hmm. an actual business that you're like, I'm doing this. Yeah. What, how did you get your first client? What did you do? Because this is where a lot of people are at right now where they have this idea and they're like, okay, I, you know, I've listened to podcasts. I've watched the YouTube videos. I've read the books. I know I, I need to set up a website, maybe a social media account, but I need to get a client and I need to charge a certain amount. Walk us through that mindset and the process. Yeah. So I think one of the most valuable things I did is I followed a, a course online um, from someone who was a virtual assistant and noticed that there was a growth in the industry. And basically she trained people how to do it. I already knew how to do the basic runnings of uh, like the, what my job entailed, but running a business was totally new to me. So I had no idea about um, the legalities of it, uh, how to find clients. But I think the biggest thing that I really took away from it was mindset. And one of um, the greatest lessons, which I'm ever forever thankful, so thanks Tamara, you know who you are, um, was the one that ingrained in me that this is your business and you do it your way. There are no real hard, fast rules other than having to pay tax and, and uh, conforming to the, the legalities of running a business. You can do it your own way. If it works, you do it however you want. I had this idea that I had to have like this super professional photo shoot with me, like in a suit being like the businesswoman and to have like perfect written copy on my website and it had to be like CEO approved and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Tamara, the girl who was giving this course, she said, well, 
are you trying to attract like the big CEO that runs a big multinational or are you trying to attract someone that's similar to you? you got to talk to them. You don't have to be in a suit. You don't have to have all this fancy language. You're allowed to put a swear one on a website if that's what you like. You just have to make sure your business reflects you because people in the end, like VAs are a dime a dozen. Why are they going to pick you? And for me, that was really a game changer. And it's like she gave me um, the permission to create a business that like screamed Saskia. Like, this is me. Like, look at my website. It's meet me for a cup of coffee. It's the exact same person. There is no difference because I want to make sure that I love doing the work that I want to do. Um, and it's changed over the years exactly what I do. But my personality shines through and that's what attracts my clients because they think, all right, that's the girl I want to work with. Love that. Yeah. There's also nothing better than actually you see someone online and then you meet them and you're like, oh, thank God it's the same person. <laughs> because there's a lot of not that out there where yeah. you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to work with this person. I love their content. Yeah. They, they have these great photos. They obviously invested in branding. And then you talk to them and they're like a total asshole. You're like, yeah. I don't want to work with this person for a yeah. three-month coaching program sure. or one-on-one. For like, sure. this is not what I thought this was. So yeah. it seems like you were very intentional of like, if you see me on the street or my stories or on Instagram, you're getting the same girl. For sure. And for me, that equals less work. Like, I show up as me. Like, if I look like shit on a story, that's because I look like shit like that day. If I look good, it's because I look good. I'm going to tell you really openly and honestly about the things I'm experiencing. And for me, because I'm not faking, I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm doing better than I am, it's easy. So there's there's no, like, editing of my stories or content that goes out. Like, it's just, this is me. Mm-hmm. And really, like, I'm a lazy person, and that's why minimalism works for me. Because, like, the less shit you have, the less you have to take care of. So, really, it's, like, the easy way out. I love that. I'm kind of <laughs> lazy, too. I go through this this whole uh, mindset of, like, am I lazy? Or do I just work better at certain times? Or is something just easy for me so it, I get it done really quick and then I can go watch 10 hours of reality TV? <laughs> like, I have that mindset a lot. So, did you struggle with certain thoughts about yourself? I mean, it sounds like you worked with a coach um, to get through some of those, but especially early on when you started charging people or onboarding clients, were you like, I don't, I don't, I can't charge this. I'm not worth this. I, I didn't work hard enough to actually charge this amount. Like walk yeah, us through that mindset. For sure. And I think there's like a gigantic mind shift that people underestimate going from, uh, someone who was paid a salary to someone who's running a business because obviously it depends on what country you're in, but living in the Netherlands, like I got a salary and I paid tax, which meant If I got sick, the government would pay me wage. If I lost my job, the government would pay me wage. Like you pay for a lot of things uh, within your salary that get deducted obviously before you get paid. So although like you might see this X number on your bank slip that you're receiving, it's actually a whole lot more has already been taken out to take care of these things. As soon as you run a business, you're not actually able to get any of these benefits. So for me, I had to realize that like I'm not building up a pension with the government right now. I'm not creating sick day leave. I'm not looking after if I don't find clients. Like, how am I going to be able to subsidize my income? That's why uh, you have to charge a lot more being a freelancer or being an entrepreneur because you have to look after yourself in the big picture. So for me to start asking like three times my hourly wage from salary to freelancer was a big step for me. Like, who am I to be asking for this amount of money? That's so much money. And and am I really bringing this much worth to a business? 
But at the end of the day, I didn't look at it from a business owner's point of view. Whereas like hiring a VA for an hourly fee is so much cheaper than having to hire someone full time, having to pay for the government to be able to build up those sick days and what have you not. So really it was like a bargain for what I was charging in the beginning uh, for people to hire me. But it's definitely a big mindset shift because you've got to take care of the big picture. You've got to plan for if you're sick. You've got to plan for looking at maybe your pension for when you're older. And it sounds like probably while you were doing this, you were still working with a coach, right? Or did you work with a coach and then start your own business? Or was it simultaneous? Um, It was simultaneous, yeah. So it was kind of like... She, I think it was about six months that we worked together. Maybe the first two months I didn't have a business. And about halfway through, I opened the business and I'm like, opened the business. Like literally I went and registered at the Chamber of Commerce and like, that was it. Because being a VA, all I needed to do was use my existing laptop, um, which is really easy. It was an online business. Like growing up, I never thought the possibility was there that your first job when you finish school could be for yourself. That was like, I graduated in 2003, an online business that was like, I mean, it was, it was there, but it wasn't as available as it is now. And what I find really inspiring is seeing like, especially like these young girls and women who like come straight out of high school, straight out of college. And they're like, I'm going to be my own goddamn boss and I'm going to take care of myself. And this, I was like, dang, like, I thought you had to like pay your dues and go work in a big corporation and to open a business would cost a shitload of money. But Nowadays, like you can open a business in five minutes. You just go to the taxation office, go register, pop yourself online and be like, hey, guys, I got a business now. Brick and mortar is it is still there, but it's it's not necessary. That's something that has opened my eyes in Bali because you always hear of the digital nomads and everyone's a freelancer. But I haven't actually seen it in action. And when I came here, everyone's at a cafe everyone's working but they're also enjoying themselves they'll go to yoga and surf and then go to a cafe and work where you just see that in the movies and you're like that can never happen for me or like you said i have to have a hundred thousand dollars already saved up or i need to do 10 years of this before i can just go over there and do that and it's like no No. if you want to do it you can do it Yeah. yeah so what about i want to talk about the coaching thing because i feel like not a lot of people talk about this and i didn't realize pretty much almost anyone that is successful has a coach And I had to invest in a coach or a one-on-one like mentor where at first I was like, this seems so weird. Like a coach, I'm not in sports. Like I'm, it's not a therapist. It's like, why do I need a coach? Like, can I just Google this online or read a book? But there is something to be said about someone that's there supporting you where not only are they supporting you, but holding you accountable. So, but there's also some coaches out there that are probably just trying to make a quick buck. So I'm curious, how did you vet yours? How did you actually work with them? Was it one-on-one? Was it group coaching? And do you still work with a coach? Yeah, for sure. So uh, how did I choose my coach? Um, Basically, there weren't that many options to start with. uh, With wanting to do a virtual assistant um, course in the Netherlands that included coaching, there were about two or three people. I spoke to all of them, and I really go off feeling. So if I have a click with someone... Um, then I'm going to go with that person. So I straight away had a click with Tamara. Um, so she runs a business. If you're in the Netherlands, Blueberry Dynamic. If you want to become a VA, go check it out. Um, straight away I had a click with her, so I decided to go with her. Um, how did it look? So it was six months. Basically, I think we had like 
bi-weekly calls. This is like a couple of years back, so I've got to think about it. Um, she had kind of like an online module system. You'd have to like follow uh, through the lessons and then uh, you would have homework and then during the calls you would discuss the homework. So uh, a big part that helped me is that like I'm not an idiot. I can do a lot of things, but I am someone who really does need accountability because I have always been like in the four tendencies. I'm an upholder. So if I have to um, deliver something for someone else, I will definitely get it done. But when it comes to myself, I'm like I can do that next week or I can do that tomorrow and then Same. it never <laughs> eventuates. So that was uh, one of the main reasons that I decided to work with a coach to have that backup. Uh, and I also had that same sort of struggle in the beginning, like, who am I? Why do I need to have a coach? Like, I'm not some professional, blah, blah, blah. I'm just starting out. But really, that is a definite reason why you need a coach. This person has been through it. They have all the experience. Like, I could have gone and Googled and researched and, you know, gone down the whole Google hole. But she had all the answers. And within an hour call, she could tell me more than I could learn in that week because she would tell me what was valid for me in my situation and in my business. So I think it's definitely worthwhile to have a coach. I still now have a business coach. I now obviously don't have a VA coach, um, but I work with a, a business coach and she really is, she's like, yeah, sugar and spice rolled into one. Like she is the sweetest person, but she will kick my ass if I'm not doing something. And that's what I need. I need that positive approach with that swift kick up the rear when time needs to, when that time comes. Um, I really think that uh, it's kind of funny. Like I work now as a business coach as well. And sometimes it feels like all us coaches are just out there coaching each other. Um, I think it's really underestimated the benefit of a coach because like I said, with the first coach I worked with, like she could give me advice that was just geared to me, but it was also the cheerleading that went along with that and the accountability um, and having someone stand in your corner and be able to play devil's advocate. Like, but why are you doing this? And what's the reason behind and making you think? Yeah. So it sounds like not only was it very tactical and strategic, like, okay, you need to do X, Y, Z, but you're looking at some energy too, like to the point of why are you doing this? Or why are you so scared to triple your rates? Because Someone can sit there all day and say, here's 10 things you need to do by tomorrow. Yeah. But you also need someone to be like, why are you not? What is that block that you're having yeah. around that that rate increase? For so sure. it sounds like your coaches were really pushing you. Yeah, for sure. And I think it doesn't matter like what phase of life you're in, what industry you're in, what you're doing. Everything in life comes down to mindset. And it does. And I'm not just talking about business, like everything. Like when people say, well, how can you just up and leave and move to a different country? Mindset. How can you just go and start a business? Well, you know, you have like a child to feed and blah, blah, blah. It's mindset because you put your mind to it and you're like, this is possible. I'm going to do this. And without that mindset, everything will probably fail because in the end, you'll become your own blocks. You'll be the one that's putting up the hurdles and keeping yourself because everything really is possible. It's just we limit ourselves to what we think is possible. And I think money mindset is the hardest one to master because oh, sure. all the stuff we've been programmed <laughs> to hear is money is gr the root of all evil. You're going to yeah. be greedy. 
those who have money are assholes you gotta or work hard to you got to work money. hard you got to put pay your dues like i cannot get over how many times i've heard you got to work a little harder you got to work 80 hour weeks you have to yeah. work till you're 45 whatever the case is yeah and now that you were just talking about all these like 22 year olds out here having 10k yeah. weeks and i'm like, like what i'm 34 are? i feel old hanging out in Shanghai. Oh like oh i'm walking God. around like yeah, Should these I girls are like, here? yeah, like boss ass <laughs> bitches. I'm like, what is going on? These girls are making so much money. And for some reason, they, maybe because they're younger, they didn't even have that time to get into the corporate world to hear all that stuff. But they were like, they're born into this like digital nomad mindset, which is really interesting. I'm curious, what blocks did you have around money? And like, what were the tools that your coaches gave you to overcome that? Was it writing something down? Was it mantras? Was it like, was there something specific that you were like, I'm done playing small. This is what I'm charging. Oh, like my journey has not finished. Like <laughs> it is still continuing. Um, I've made the transition to coaching about a year ago and I've gone from like the hourly fee to package fees. Um, and it's something that I still struggle with. Like being totally honest, it's uh, being like up leveling is hard work mentally because it's like you're brain wants to keep you in the safe zone like this is safe we know this works like this is easy let's just not be too dangerous let's not dip our toe in too many pools like let's just stay here um so it's something that i'm still working on but so what are the things that really helped um i think one thing that really helped was seeing the examples of what other people have done and I've heard like judgment against like the whole hashtag girl boss and that like, like why shouldn't it just be hashtag boss? I think uh, like we talked about earlier that girls are getting into this industry a lot earlier because they've seen this example. And for me, that also really helped. Um, there was a, a vlogger in the Netherlands that I was following or blogger or business, whatever. You know, everyone does everything now. Um, and I was watching a video of hers on YouTube and it really resonated with me because my fear when I first started my business was the unknown, because if I have a salary job, I know I'm going to get X amount of money every month in my bank and shit's going to be fine. But if I'm a freelancer, then I don't have that security. Uh, and basically she broke it down. Like in this economy, like even your salary isn't guaranteed. Like how many people... Uh, getting let go because the business isn't doing well or for whatever other reason they're doing a reorganization you name it salary jobs at least in the Netherlands are not really secure anymore so um, the other thing she said is you can create multiple streams of income like in a salary job you're supply you're looking to one person to pay for you whereas if you create your own business you can create multiple streams of income. If one of them falls away, you've still got all the other ones coming in. So I think that for me was like a mind shift uh, that I had to really first work on because I had the whole, which was told to me by everyone, by my parents, by society, like it's it's not secure and you never know what's gonna happen and blah, blah, blah. But in the actual fact, it's, it's the opposite that's true, that that is the power behind working for yourself is that you're in charge. So what income streams did you start with? It sounds like you, when you were starting, your model has changed a bit in your business yeah. to what you have now. Yeah. Uh, so when I first started, I was just offering an hourly fee as a virtual assistant. So now I work uh, under my new business, The Virtual Minimalist. So teaching people how to take minimalism into their business. 
Um, so I offer different programs. I don't have one type of client. I've got multiple different types of clients. Um, and at the moment I'm creating some other uh, income streams to go next to that. And I don't know if you're like me, but once I think of two income streams, I somehow then think of four and then six, and then I get overwhelmed where I'm like, wait, I could, for example, with the podcast, let's use this as an example. Yeah. I could be a podcast host. I could make podcast merchandise. I could have podcast sponsors. I could go on tour. I could sell ad space. I could offer bonus content. And then I'm like, but it's too, that's too much. I'm going to just stick doing one thing. Then I get overwhelmed and go back into my little like hermit crab shell where I'm like, I'm just going to do the one thing. Like you said, the, the scarcity of like, this is safe. This is comfortable. We don't need to open up six other streams. Yeah. How did you get through that? And, and was, do you get overwhelmed like that? Were you like, this is too much. Let's just do this one thing. Um, no, because my business is actually showing people how to avoid that. So the idea behind minimalism in your business has like, uh, a few different ways that it affects it. First of all, it's obviously like how much you're going to work. Second of all, it's what kind of work are you going to be doing? Um, so, and, and third of all, it really all comes down to first of all, writing your own rules and creating priorities. And from there, you really don't have to make decisions anymore because in the beginning you've made them. So whenever all these opportunities come, like to be a podcast host or to be doing whatever with the podcast, Basically, any business decision that I have to come up with, I go back to my priorities and my rules that I've decided are important for my business. And I see, do, I, do they tick these boxes? No, don't do it. Yes, I do it. So, and that means, like I said before, minimalism doesn't mean necessarily doing the minimum, but it actually means just doing the things that are either important to you or the things that you love. So by creating these priorities, first off, uh, you're making sure that you're only doing the things that you really want to do. It's like working smarter, not harder. That's like yeah. what the, the yeah, baseline sure. tag is basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's working smarter, for sure, not harder. For sure. Less is less. And um, also, when you're doing work that you love, it doesn't feel like hard work. And I think that's another mindset shift that I really had to get through going from an hourly fee to now an hourly fee for actually doing physical work as it were, you know, like actually going through and emptying their inbox and, and doing these administrative tasks. Now I get paid to talk. And that for me was a really big mind fuck because I was like, I'm talking about my hobby. Like <laughs> you'll find me Saturday night at home, like watching YouTube videos about like the, the next best productivity tool or like how to plan out your calendar correctly or God knows, but I fall into like YouTube black holes about this stuff. Like I love productivity. I love business minimalism, but most people don't like, they don't really want to spend their time Mm -hmm. looking into this. So I found like the sweet spot. People are going to pay me to talk about something that I love. So yeah, it's work, but it's not really hard. So if I can create ways to make money around this, even if there are a few different income streams, it doesn't feel like hard work because I'm not sitting there with like hands in my hair, stressed out, you know, worrying about how I'm going to be able to do everything. And someone, yeah, it's so fun. And someone framed it to me that it really clicked for me with the whole hard work and you have to work 80 hour weeks and you need to have 10 plus clients at all times. It's like, you could have 10 clients paying you a thousand dollars. You could have two clients paying you $5,000 and you would make the same money, but you'd be working less time 
just at a higher ticket value. And I was like, I don't know why I never thought of, <laughs> oh, you could just charge higher rates and work with less people or spread it out. Okay, I'm going to work with this many people over the yeah. course of the month to get to my goal. Yeah. So I'm curious, did you ever set like income goals or was it like, let me just see how this goes and then we'll readjust and how yeah. do you actually like up level basically? Is it every month? Is it every six months? Like I'm curious how that process goes. Yeah. So like I said, I still feel like I'm in the process of figuring this all out myself. I do create income goals for myself. Um, I think it's really important to create goals for yourself, either personally or in your business um, and write them down. It's been proven that what, like you got 40 more percent chance of achieving something. If you write it down, create a vision board, look at it every day. Like, and with making a vision board, uh, you really have to be honest with yourself. Like you are not creating a vision board because that's what should be there. Well, that's what people expect your goals are like shit. That's important to you because if you have an emotion attached to it, the chances are it's going to happen faster because you're motivated to do it. Um, but in the beginning, did I have, I've, I guess I've always had financial goals for my business, um, mainly because I want to get rid of my day job in the beginning, but they weren't as rigid as they are now. Now I'm like, I want to reach this goal. That means I have to make this much this quarter. That means I have to get this many clients. That means I have to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's something that I've learned from my business coach that I work with now is reverse engineering. This is where I want to be. This is where I'm at. What are the exact steps to get there and break it down like idiot proof? Like today, that means I have to do X. I don't have to do all these 10,000 things, just this one step, because then it all seems more achievable. I want to also ask, this is a bit personal, but I feel like it's important to talk about money. Like, I think this is why we have trouble talking about money because no one wants to ask. How much did you invest in a business coach and have you made that investment back? Um, so I only started working with my business coach a few months ago. Okay. Uh, I paid, I believe, oh, which currency was this? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. We're talking in like four uh, different yeah, currencies Yeah, I think right like 5,000 US dollars. Um, and I'm in the process of definitely making that back. And what does that entail? Is that a six month program? Is that one-on-one uh, weekly yeah. calls? So this is an annual program. It's a year okay. program. Um, I get monthly calls. Um, this is... Uh, I also did get a special rate because I already did a group program mm. first. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I like to talk about that because I think people... We're so used to getting discounts on everything and buying things, you know, getting a hookup or whatever. And it's like, no, sometimes you actually have to put in the money to a professional yep. to get where you want to be. And I, I talked about this on one podcast. I paid someone, I think, $500 for a 90 minute call. And when she said her rate at first, I was like, <laughs> I almost hung up. I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? I'm not paying you $500. Somehow by the end of the call, I found $500 to work with her because it was so valuable because it, we weren't just sitting there talking about how's your day? How's it going? It was like, let's get to work. Here's the 10 things you need to do. Blah, blah, blah. Where I was like, well, I actually have a plan. Yeah. This could make me $500 if I actually just went out and did half this stuff. Yeah. I yeah. can make that back. But the ri original statement of oh yeah it's 500 dollars for 90 minutes i was like 
And then you start getting around other people and they're like, that's cheap. I charge $1,000. Oh, that's cheap. I charge $500,000. What? Yeah. So it's like that constant up level that we're talking about. The money mindset is like. Yeah, like if you told me two years ago I was going to pay that, I'd be like, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Because that's not what I'm going to do. And it's definitely, I think, um, what is it? Like you you are the average of the people, the five people you Mm -hmm. surround yourself with. And every step that I've taken in my business, also the people I've spent my professional time with has changed. Um, for me, what was really valuable is in the Netherlands, I worked at a co-working office and there were girls there that were, it was a ladies only, uh, hashtag girl boss, um, <laughs> office. Uh, and it was really inspiring to see where they were and hear them tell the honest stories of how they got there. And one of them was investing in coaches. Uh, and at the beginning it sounded really scary. That's why with my business coach, I initially started in a group program for me, that was more affordable. And at the end of it, she sent through, uh, her pitch for her one-on-one work. And the first time I saw it, it was like, <gasps> am I really going to pay that? Like, it's really scary and it's so much money and blah, blah, blah. But as I went on in my business, I saw the worth much more. I didn't see it as a dollar amount more as to the value she could bring to my business and I think that's also with money mindset is we look at the monetary figure too much and don't focus on the worth that it's actually going to bring to us mm-hmm. or the value right and it's it's a huge shift like I'm like we said we're working on it every day it's not something that overnight we're like oh I'm ready to receive money and pay money and invest it's like a constant uh, work in progress is the word but I'm I'm glad that we're like having this conversation because I feel like people are scared to invest or don't want to yeah. invest. Again, the coaching thing, I feel like there's this weird stigma, like everyone's a coach, but it's yeah. like, no, there's some really solid ones out there. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. don't for be sure. afraid to invest in yourself. Yeah. And like, don't feel scared to jump on sales calls with people because like they offer this up so that you can get in touch with them, see what they're like. They can maybe give you a few little tips on the telephone or on the video call um, just to make you feel comfortable because they know it's a big investment. They want you... Uh, to only work with them if you um, yeah have some sort of a click with each other and and respect them and understand them and are willing to take their advice because if you jump on the call with someone and instantly you've got this feeling like this is not it well listen to your gut that's not it but it doesn't mean coaching's not for you go find another coach right yeah love that okay I want to end on two questions because you said you're obsessed with productivity and organization and minimalizing, and that's something that I definitely need to work on. So what are some of your, let's say, top three favorite productivity tools or hacks or tips? Oh, right. So I, uh, it's not necessarily a productivity hack, um, but what I lightly touched on before is writing rules for your business. By taking the time up front and thinking what's really essential Um, like for me, it was, it had to be like flexible time-wise. It had to be able to make money online, blah, blah, blah. By figuring that out beforehand, it has saved me so much time when I refer to those rules, when something comes across my path and I'm really indecisive. So when something comes across my path and I think, oh my God, should I do it? Should I not? Um, ah, yes, no, blah, blah, blah. Forget all about it. Look at the rules. Be like, yeah, it, it ticks the boxes. No, it doesn't that makes a decision for me. So that saves a lot of time for me. So that's number one. Um, second of all, batching tasks is like a game changer. So they say on average, it takes your brain like 15 minutes to switch between two different tasks. So if all day you're 
checking your email and then you're doing your social media and then you're talking to this person and then you're writing content and then you're, I don't know, like you're jumping all over the place. That is not a really good way to be working. What you need to be doing, the way I've done it is I split my business up into departments. So I've got like my marketing department, I've got my finance department. It might just be me working in the business, but I've got like, okay, my days have theme. Like Monday is CEO day. Like I am creating marketing plans. I'm making sure that like I'm first I'm putting on my uh, COO hat. I'm like operations. I'm like, okay, and now I'm the CFO and now I'm going to do admin. Because if you're going to be like jumping and changing between tasks all the time, it's just wasting brain power. Anything like finance related that comes into my inbox, I save it away. And then when it's finance time, I will go and do all my admin at the same time. I will go and uh, look at all my figures and all my financial goals all at the same time. So batching tasks, that is definitely a big one. Creating content all at the same time. Yeah. I love that one because I just did that for the first time, even though I've heard 14,000 times, batch your tasks, batch your tasks. I was like, I'll just get it done when I get it done. I did two weeks of social media and it actually, A, didn't take that long. I think I was hesitant because I was like, it's going to take me forever because I found the power of repurposing content. Also, then once you said you're in that brain wave, then my mind was like, Caption City. I was like, like I couldn't stop. I was like, I think I have content for a month now and I meant to just do it a week or two, but I was in the zone. Exactly. And you're focused on it. Your brain is like in that mode of creating whatever you need to be creating. Like go with that. That's for sure. So that'd be number one. Um, uh, Sorry, that'd be number two, right? The rules are number one. Oh, what is number three? Um, Maybe it's like a software or a tool or something you live by. So my business pretty much lives in two tools. And this is with my business minimalism. Like, why do you have so many freaking tools? Like, find something that works and use that. So um, Google Suite. So that is like Gmail, Google Drive, um, and Google Calendar. They, that, that, that is my business, pretty much. Um, that and Trello. In Trello, I have everything with um, boards that I share with my clients. I have my um, SOPs, so like my standard operating procedures. Um, do not underestimate how important it is to have procedures and workflows and checklists. It sounds nerdy and boring, <laughs> but it makes such a big difference. Um, so yeah, G Suite, Trello, that's pretty much it. Amazing. I have G Suite, so I'm on the right track. Yeah. Maybe I need to get Trello. But I'm the same way where I, I get overwhelmed with too many things. Like, I need to work with you. <laughs> I need to minimize <laughs> my life. You need to come over here. Yeah, yeah. This just turned into a pitch for Saskia's <laughs> one-on-one coaching program. So here we are. But no, it's true. I remember at my old job, I was like, we're over-resourced. Like, why are we logging everything in five different softwares? We could just do it in one. Yeah. But it sounded important. Like, oh, you have to do this, and you have yeah. to have that one. This because, one's for this. Yeah, and I used to fall into that trap, too. Like, the more things I have, the more I can organize them. Because I'm a born organizer. I love organizing. But I was not a born minimalist. So, basically, like... People describe my work as like the Marie Kondo for online businesses. Like I get in there and I'm like, why are we doing this? Is this something that you love? What is the point of this? Like we do not need like rather than 10,000 shirts, like you do not need 10,000 tools. Like why are you spending your money on so many things? Like reduce your finances, just do the essentials. And it's, it's such a game changer for people because the same way that cutting out like white noise in the physical world you can apply the same to an online business. Like every time you open your laptop and your desktop is like covered in files, 
that's white noise. Mm. Every time you have to process all of your administration, you've got 10,000 expenses, that is white noise. Everything your brain looks at is taking up brain power. So even though it's not in the physical world, it's still affecting your mind. I literally on the plane to Bali opened my laptop and I had all these screenshots on my background and I was like, I'm anxious looking at this. And I immediately just went, highlighted all and put it in one folder. And I was like, I instantly feel better. Look at that. Although was it really organized? Yeah, I was like, oh, could be more organized. But that actually leads me to my last question, which is what is your favorite client story? My favorite client story? Um, Well, that's a big one. Uh... Or successful story, or maybe a testimonial, like the Marie Kondo for clients. Did someone actually tell you that? Yes. Okay. So that was one of my VA clients. Okay. Um, and the way uh, we ended our working relationship, I find is the best. So um, this was actually one of the first clients that I had when I started out as a VA, like literally the first person that spent money on my business. So she was important to me. Uh, I did a short co- a, sort of a short spurt of work for her and then for two years we didn't work together and then she reached out to me uh, and said look my business is a mess like I, I am ready to do this like whole 100% online business how do I get everything organized like everything is a mess I just want to make an easy workflow of like launching business press button everything is done but right now it's a total chaos um and so we started working together she said i've also got a number of other vas who work for me they're supposed to make me have more free time to work on my business but it's costing me more time because i'm managing them so i stepped in as like the middle person so i managed all of her people and i helped her to uh like automate as much as possible like write workflows and processes and i took over customer service like how can we make this easier for us and still as good for the clients or even better Um, And so I worked with her for quite some time. We had an amazing work relationship. And then she rang up one day and said, listen to us, like, I love working with you, but you have worked yourself out of your job. Like you have automated everything that can be automated. You can, uh, you've created workflows for everything. Like it's literally a checkoff list when we want to launch. I launched the other day and it was like a luxurious, stress-free experience. And that is something I've never had before. And I have you to thank for that. Like you completely tidied it up, but I don't need you anymore. And that is kind of the goal of my business to find someone who is overworked and overwhelmed. And they've they've set out to, you know, bring their passion to the world and they get snowed under and forget why they got into it. And then to be able to help them to organize their business to a a level that they get back to loving what they do. They can focus on whatever it is that they want to do because all of the other things around their business have been organized, have been delegated, have been automated or have just been ditched because people are doing so much shit they do not need to be doing. We're overwhelmed. We're overstimulated. We're overworked. Like we don't also need that in our business. Yeah, exactly. So that was the best reason to be let go from a client (laughs) is I did such a good job that she just didn't need me anymore. That's like, like you said, it was like kind of the ideal, <laughs> ideal outcome was yeah. this is the whole goal of being more minimalistic. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So if someone actually does want to work with you, where do they find you? Where's your socials? How can they get in contact with you? For sure. So uh, you'll find me mostly hanging out on Instagram. So my handle is Saskia Mardi. 
and that's probably a difficult name, but it'll be in the show notes, I'm yes. guessing. Uh, and also my website, saskiamadi.com. So I've got a few different uh, coaching programs, uh, an accountability program. So have a look and see what might work for you and give us a follow and say hi if you're in Bali. Yes, say hi to her in Bali, but also definitely follow her because like you said, you are the same person you are on Instagram and you have so many good tips. I literally was stalking your captions and there was one about (laughs) finances and separating it into different waves if you're uh, different buckets for different waves of life and oh I was yeah like, oh my god well, how have i never thought of that yeah, and it's profit just first check yeah. it out <laughs> so instagram i know people think it's like a black hole but if you follow valuable people just like you're the five people you hang out with the content you follow is also important for sure and like instagram like you said is a real valuable tool what i would suggest to people if you want to start a little bit of minimalism today virtual minimalism is going through the people you follow and the people do not inspire you or that make you laugh if they make you feel like shit or make you feel like you're not enough unfollow those accounts because it is only filling up your mind and your time with worthless shit so only follow people that inspire you or that make you excited or that just make you have a good laugh love that amen what a perfect note to end on (laughs) thank you for coming on the show thanks Chelsea it was heaps of fun (laughs) 